3: Welcome, everyone, to the Sports Illustrated Media Podcast. I am your host, Jimmy Trainer. Thanks so much for listening. Great episode today. Two guests. First up, Brian Curtis from The Ringer. He wrote a really good article last week about um, sort of the Brent Musburger leaving CBS, getting fired from CBS, and Jim Nance getting all those roles, and it ties in with Nance now currently in the middle of negotiations with CBS and um, a lot of NFL TV talk, NFL media talk, TV rights, broadcaster. So we do all that with Brian Curtis from The Ringer. Does a great job covering media. And then after Brian, Alan Sepinwall, the chief TV critic for Rolling Stone, joins the SI Media podcast with, uh, you know, we're in the down, a little lull now with sports. So Alan gives you some recommendations, dramas and comedies to sort of stream and binge. And we talk about some other shows, Your Honor, Ted Lasso. Uh, Young Rock, Shits Creek, Golden Globes are this week, so I asked him for his opinion on some of the nominations. So Brian Curtis up first on NFL TV broadcasters, Jim Nance, Brett Musburger, and then Alan Seppenwald for some TV talk on this episode. Last week, if you missed it, Dan Ravel got into the whole baseball card craze and uh, trading card craze, I should say, gave us sort of an education on it. Um, so check that out. I especially recommend the YouTube there. You can see me flash some of my Fancy Cards. Other recent guests on the podcast, Aaron Andrews, Kyle Brandt, Roman Reigns. So check those all out uh, in the archives. All right. Brian Curtis from The Ringer and then Alan Seppenwall from Rolling Stone coming up right here on the SI Media Podcast. Yes. All right. Joining me now, always like to have him on to talk about the great stuff he writes over at The Ringer. Editor-in-large, Brian Curtis, who has a great article last week about... Jim Nance's contract situation at CBS, and he ties it into Brent Musburger leaving CBS 30 years ago. Brian, how's it going? Good, Jimmy. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Brian also is a co-host on the Press Box podcast for The Ringer. And um, like I said, I loved the article last week, uh, sort of connecting Brent leaving CBS, leaving, getting fired, not having a contract renewed, however you want to spin that. I thought you did a nice job there, because I, I was always under the impression Brent was fired. But he yeah. just didn't have this contract renewed. I guess
4: it's the shorthand, right? Yeah. And really, the difference at that point, you know, we're, Brent is not going to announce any more games for CBS. Well, except one, which he went out and did. We can talk about that in a second.
3: Again, um, what did I post yesterday? Oh, in um, in my column on on Tuesday, Monday or Tuesday, I forgot. It was an anniversary of of Bobby Knight throwing the chair against the uh, across the court, and I said, you know, this this fits into the if Twitter was around category and Brent getting fired and then having to do the NCAA tournament finals the next day is definitely a, if Twitter was around moment, I think
4: I was trying to think like, what would be the announcer move that would even be on the same podium stand as that. And maybe if
3: like Marv got fired and then he had to call like game seven of the NBA final, but he doesn't do the finals. It's it's Breen now. So even that one, I guess doesn't work.
4: Yeah, the only one I came up was let's imagine like the Nance negotiation blew up on Saturday at the Masters, and the Nance had to come out and do Sunday, right? Like that, and we'd all be watching. It'd be like nineteen thousand columns, but you know what? I don't think it would be as big. I just don't. The world has changed too much. I mean, Brent was on the front page of major newspapers next to the Soviets rolling armored tanks into Lithuania. That was how big Brent was.
3: It's a really good question about whether that would be big, a national. It's a good question from a national state, because, you know, locally, I remember, you know, locally, I remember when Mike and the mayor Dog broke up. That was on the front page of every newspaper here in New York.
4: Mm-hmm.
3: Um, but national, it's a little different. So, yeah, that's a, that's an interesting one with Nance, if that would make the front pages. Um I'm going to do a little tease, though, before we'll dig into Brent and Nance because there's a lot there. But this all sort of ties into what's going on now with the NFL because information has trickled out and have been, has been leaked out over the last few days. It started Friday with CNBC. I mean, first of all, listen, I understand the NFL is king and they can do what they want. And they had a 7% ratings drop this year. It does not matter. We are addicted to the NFL. The NFL is the drug of America you got, you got a lot of balls asking for a 100% rights fee increase <laughs> right now. I mean, only the NFL, totally.
4: only, the, only the NFL. And I know for certain that, you know, network people way before the pandemic, right? So way before the economic situation and, and just societal situation we find ourselves in, we're looking at it, the idea of 100% increase because the NFL has wanted this all along and we're mm-hmm. like, no way no way that's what they'll ask for but the number will come in you know that's you know it's all a big game of poker i (laughs) i I wonder what those people are saying now because now we've had a year of very weird television a year of revenues going as you say ratings going down revenues going down and they still might get 100 percent, right they still they still might they still might do it maybe espn because they pay so much already comes in at some you know some (laughs) lower place but would you bet against them? I mean, No,
3: I definitely would not. And, you know, I talked to James Andrew Miller earlier this week after the report came out, and, you know, he knows everything about ESPN. He said he thinks – he said he doesn't think ESPN will pay a 100% rights fee increase, but it'll be close, you know, maybe 80-90, and they'll keep Monday Night Football. But even 80-90, I mean, it's, it's just remarkable. I mean, ESPN was paying $1.9 billion yeah. for Monday Night Football, and I think O'Ran said yesterday – They're looking at 3.5 billion and those games are terrible.
4: (laughs) So that increase is over a billion dollars, over a billion dollars. And Disney came into this whole negotiation saying, we want more NFL. We don't quite know how we're going to get it. Maybe it's just buffing up Monday night football. And now we hear, you know, simulcasting ABC, doing some double headers, getting in the Super Bowl rotation, whatever it is, we want more NFL like that. That's our path right now. So, yeah, I I, I would bet on the NFL.
3: I've said this on this podcast a few times. It's surprising to me, you know, maybe ESPN is, you know, maybe ESPN and the NFL are having some contentious negotiations or arguing over money. We've heard, um, what O'Ran had told me on this podcast a few weeks ago is all the networks are out on Thursday night football. It's just going to be NFL network. And I don't understand why Turner slash bleacher report doesn't TNT TBS. Why don't they try to get in the mix for the NFL?
4: That's a good question because they have been there before, right? In the old days, yeah, when uh, a long time ago, with the Sunday night package, uh, right? Vern, Vern Lundquist.
3: Vern there Vern you Lundquist.
4: go. Right? Yeah. yeah, with a kind of interesting uh, cast of analysts on that show. No, that's a good question because how many of these things, you know, how many times does something like that come open? But I don't know. Maybe they looked at the numbers, and you know, apparently everybody has looked at the numbers of that package and been like, Eh-eh.
3: Well, that, it's amazing. I mean, the networks don't want Thursday night because it costs too much money and they don't make enough money on it. Yet they're going to get a hundred percent rights fee increase, Right. You know.
4: and, and that's got to be t- that's got to be part of it, right? Like yeah. we we know we're going to have to pay so much more to hold on to this thing that we absolutely can't lose, which is Sunday afternoon or yeah. Sunday night. So yeah, where to go? So
3: now this t- sort of ties into Nance because if if you follow sports media, you know Andrew Martian has been sort of on top of this with with Nance wanting yep. Tony Romo money, which is seven seventeen and a half million dollars a year to do. um, NFL. And I guess this is one of those things where you can argue both sides of it. You can make the argument, okay, well, if you're CBS and you're paying billions, not million, but billions for the NFL package on Sunday afternoons, where the most highly rated game of the week is every Sunday at 425, split between CBS and Fox, you should spend the money to have, what's what's another 100 million for your play-by-play guy? Well, you can make the argument we have to spend all this money for the nfl how can we give the play by play guy 100 million or whatever the amount is so where, what's the right way to look
4: at it well clearly they made the decision on the on the color guy right you know that oh what's another 100 million or whatever whatever the difference yeah. between what a normal tony romo salary and what they actually paid him is i don't know i mean i look at it two ways on the one hand this is ridiculous <laughs> you know, all of this is ridiculous <laughs> no you know we, we we say this i feel like all of us who write about sports media write this column. nobody watches sports television for the announcers except an extremely i extreme, will
3: say this I, I i disagree from this standpoint i i will not watch a whole game because of an announcer but like for me like i i really can't watch college basketball just can't do it but if i'm flipping and i hear raftery's right voice i'll give it five or ten minutes
4: okay Okay, uh, that's my only
3: caveat on that. But go ahead. I don't. So I you'll
4: come to. into the Gonzaga game or whatever because give me Bill's ten
3: minutes. of Raftery. Okay, I want to hear the word. I want to hear him say onions and lingerie on the deck, and then I'll move. Then I'll move on with my life. All right. we can know?
4: agree. There's a small number of Jimmy trainers in the world who will come <laughs> to it. <a, as laughs> I'll give you the Bill Raftery, right? Like, you know, not nothing against Bill, but you makes know. me
3: feel good. Yeah.
4: Yeah. No, he does. He does. Um, yeah. So on the one hand, right, you're paying a ton of money for somebody that, unlike a star of an HBO series not bringing people to the show. No. That's weird. On the other hand, as you point out, it's a giant commercial transaction. So you are managing essentially this commercial transaction through your announcer. I remember a couple of years ago, Joe Tessitore told me, we talked about play by play announcers that we're not really journalists. We're more like capitalists. And I actually thought that was the perfect phrase.
3: Yeah. Right. I mean, you hit the nail right on the head. Those announcers, especially the play by play person they're there to keep the NFL happy more than anything. Sure, And I mean, I think you saw this play out in, I think, a completely ridiculous way a few years ago when NBC got Thursday night and Goodell wouldn't let them use Mike Tirico. They wanted Al Michaels. They wanted the A guy. So, it sh- you know, it shows you what the NFL, you know, that that lead play by play person, uh, the NFL has to sort of be on board with that in a big way.
4: Yeah. And you just, and either keep them happy or not piss them off. Yeah. Not say anything on the air. That's going to get somebody, make somebody in park Avenue, pick up a phone and and make a call. So that is, it is valuable. I I don't think it's that valuable. I really don't. And I think, you know, it goes to the Brent thing, right? These guys have all this capital built up and we think of Jim Nance, CBS sports, we think of Joe Buck, Fox sports, but if they left, and I'm not rooting for them to leave, but if they left, the world would continue. I think everybody knows that. Right. And it's just a matter of, and somebody would come in and do that job and do it probably pretty well, if not quite on the level of those a guys, yeah. at least right away. But you know, nobody, yeah. nobody seems willing to take that risk.
3: Right. Now, do you subscribe to the theory that, so, you know, the, the report, no one knows what exactly it's true, but the report is that, you know, Nance wants Romo money. Um, you would now, like you said, if Jim Nance left, CBS would plug in iron Eagle on here and there, they'd plug in Harlan, and life would go on as you said. But can you? But do you subscribe to the to the argument that Nance should have more leverage or be more valuable since he does NFL Masters, college basketball, and what? If I'm leaving something out, I don't remember. But at
4: least theoretically, yeah. sure. Yeah. But again, I just in my, I and I'm I, I look. I'm, I don't want to discount the talent or anything else. It's just. It is what it is about announcement. I don't, I don't yeah. think anybody would, would dispute the idea that we're, wa- we're all watching sports. Yeah. And by the way, if CBS is mad about this, CBS did this. He knew as soon as they signed that Tony Romo contract, this was going to uh-huh. screw everything up for yeah. everybody. Oh, yeah. Across networks. Yeah. Troy Eggman's yeah. agent was going to make a call. Chris Collinsworth's agent right. was going to make a call. Joe Buck's yeah. agent was going to make a call. Everybody was going to make a call. And why not?
3: Right. If right. That's,
4: oh, that's a new price. Yep. Nope. I understand, and, like, yeah, it was it was a unique situation with leverage, but you know what? These guys are all big television stars.
3: Right.
4: And they're like, I, okay, well, now let's fix my contract. Okay. Exactly.
3: I had, I had Troy on a few weeks ago and I brought up the Romo contract and And all Troy would say on the podcast was he said, um, he said, it's a good time to be a sports <laughs> analyst on network television. So Absolutely. I'm sure Troy is making, has his agent making phone calls. Sure. Um, so this ties into the great, great column you wrote last week, which was about um, Brent Musburger, who was the face of CBS sports in a major way having contract issues they end up not renewing them and then nance sort of fills in for you know takes over all the brent roles and nance has become the face of cbs for 30 years which is remarkable it's it, the two things that's, you know when i read your article one of the frustrating things for me was it I, it reminds me how old i am because there were things in there that i'm like i think i remember that but i like i don't when i read it i said i don't think i knew that and then i said wait maybe i did know that that for a time brent did the did the, the the news in la <laughs>
4: yeah and that wild Could, I, just, I mean well, that's the just anchor. not the sports anchor but right the anchor yeah and i'll give you the trivia you know who his co-anchor was and No, know chung wow yeah
3: before she uh who she did with dan rather right that well that was the disaster at cbs before she
4: went to to the big network too yeah, yeah.
3: it's so wild. Did, yeah so that was a great nugget in there and uh, the two things I was, you know, the two things that hit me were, you know, Nance has been with CBS for 30 years and Brent yeah. had a 27 year run at ESPN. I know. That is unbelievable.
4: He had a second career that's just about better than anybody else's first career.
3: Absolutely.
4: And he was uh, called the national championship game. Like, again, time flies. But 2014 was not that long ago.
3: Right. Right.
4: Yeah. And he was yeah. still the big college football announcer. So. So
3: one of the things that Brian lays out so great in the story is, you know, you have to really, you have to really understand how Brent was the face of CBS sports. He did everything. They, and it, and there was a year there where they had every single property. Almost. They had the NBA finals. They had college football. They had major league baseball, the NFL, obviously. Brent and Brent was involved in all of it, hosting or studio or play by play. So, um, but I would gather that Brent thought he was more valuable than CBS and that's why they couldn't renew. I mean, there was, there's Brent sort of has an ego, I guess would be sort of the way to put it.
4: Well, he wanted to do everything I think. And then they, they came out, he and his, his agent, which, which was his brother, another very interesting feature of the story. um, They wanted to work. I mean, Brent's thing was, I want to be on television. And when I was thinking, by the way, you're right, we are old. And this is what our parents sounded like when they talked about rock and roll, you know, right. oh, you had to yeah. be there in 1965, yeah. but you kind of had to be there in like 1990 to understand this. Cause he did, he had the same job generally speaking as Nance and Joe Buck do now, but he was just all over the place. He was everywhere. It was almost like the cable news anchor when you, you turn on and they're on at noon and then they're on at 3am right. and then they're on their primetime show. And you're like, when is that guy not on the air? Yeah. That was sort of Brent in the eighties doing sports yeah, and the networks were so much bigger, Jimmy, right? In 1980, yeah. the networks had 90% of the primetime audience, three channels had 90%. Right. So if you were big in the eighties, you were just bigger than anybody now, but yeah, to go to your, to your question. Yeah. He wanted to do everything. He wanted to do the masters, wanted to do the U S open. He re- he would always renegotiate his contract and he would get more stuff. So he became lead college football guy, For a time, he became lead college basketball guy, which he was still doing at the end. And he wanted to work. And I think CBS looked at it and said, we've got young people like Greg Gumbel at that point, Jim Nance. And we just want to break this up because when somebody does everything and when somebody makes a ton of money like that, they get really, really powerful Mm. and they become, you know, hard, excuse me, hard to control. Right. And And that's, I think, from what we can tell, if you look at and I've talked to people from that era who were. At the network around Brent, and that—that that is really what it was. You yeah. know, Brent said it himself. I—they—I got—they thought I got too big for my britches, and they wanted to take me down a peg.
3: Yeah, and it, you know, it, it's hard to—it's hard to imagine CBS pulling that trigger. Um, and I'm thinking about something else in that article. Um, when you talk, you want to talk about just you know an astonishing. We're here talking about Nance wants Romo money, which is 17 and a half million. Musburger peaked at what? Three or four million with with CBS?
4: Uh-huh. And at the time, that was a fortune. Yeah. That was yeah. an absolute fortune. Yeah, Because, you know, now, announcers weren't making that kind of money in the 70s. And he, has, he was the guy who, he was the highest paid announcer at the time. He was the guy who kept jacking up the rates. Yeah. He was the Romo of the 80s.
3: At four million a year. Yeah. And we, he, did it, he did every, you know, it, I thought it was also interesting the way you laid it out, where, um, you know, CBS for that year had, everything every sport imaginable and at some point you do have to pay that check and now we're getting into this situation with the nfl it's amazing i feel like your article is like a i feel like it was just so full circle in a way with such with what's it really the timeliness because of what's going on now with the nfl contracts and the nance thing it was uh it was fascinating to read similarities at the time and Really, the only thing that changed really is numbers, basically,
4: it seems totally. like. Totally. And a couple years after that, CBS didn't write the check for the NFL. Right. And made this horrible mistake. And then four or five years later, whatever it was after that, they wrote it, and they've never stopped writing it again. They're yeah. like, no matter what happens, we're never going to not write the check to the NFL. They,
3: they figured out where the bread is buttered.
4: Yeah, that's our, yeah. That's our strategy. But the dream yeah. season, which was what 1990 was called, was amazing. Because also, Jimmy... All those series, or almost all of them, turned out to be terrible. I remember 1990 World Series was a sweep. 1990 NBA Finals, I'm pretty sure it was a Piston series, was four to one. Mm -hmm. Uh, The Cotton Bowl that year was, which Nance called, was terrible. Like everything was terrible. Yeah. So they had the lock on everything. It was just one of those years where all the you know nothing was terribly exciting.
3: Baseball was always a weird fit with CBS. It was Jack Buck and McCarver, and um, what did it go from? Did it go from CBS to the baseball network?
4: Is <laughs> yes. that
3: was that the order?
4: Yeah. Yeah. We're gonna have two bizarre. hours to explain to the kids what the baseball network was. That's but, a
3: story yeah. for you, the baseball network. Oh my god. That was bizarre. Yeah, if anyone remembers that. Bizarre. Yeah.
4: Yeah. CBS had paid a billion dollars for baseball and then it went to the baseball network.
3: Um, so do you think do you think the situation with Musburger that you wrote about is is in Nance's head while he's negotiating? Do you think Nance is thinking like, listen, if they play hardball, I go to ESPN tomorrow. Um, how do you think those negotiations are going?
4: I mean, it'd be interesting to to uh, uh, to to actually know if if the Brent example, since Jim was the guy who benefited when Brent left. But I think one thing I'm sure is in his head is that the identity of Jim Nance is mixed up in the identity of CBS sports and Jim Nance could walk out the door and go somewhere else and do great stuff and be, be Jim Nance in every way that he is now. And his job wouldn't be the same. It just wouldn't be the same. Right. And that, that doesn't mean that he did. He should stay or whatever it is, but it's just not the same, right? right? He is part of the, part of the reason he's so big there is because we see him as part of CBS sports. He has all this 30 years of seniority, built up and i just don't think that's something you can take with you out the door yeah you can take everything else right but these these guys and gals are they ad- we identify them with the network yeah and especially well, I mean, him
3: yeah and, like, and it, even in the case of brent like you mentioned you know for years and years called the national title game rose bowls uh college basketball um i think he did mlb for espn but you hear Brent Musburger, and the first thing you're always going to think of is the nfl today of course is you know so
4: you are looking live
3: yeah I, of course I mean,
4: and that's uh, i think i think that's just an interesting thing about announcers because yeah. they do. you know we live in this world where everybody's kind of a free agent now and freelance and you have your twitter account and all that stuff and it applies to those guys but we still do associate them i think with their employers maybe in a way we don't a whole bunch of people
3: it would be it would be fascinating if if Nance left. I mean, for, for, from our perspective, for our job and what we do in content, we want Nance to leave because we would get so much mileage out of that, probably, <laughs> because you'd get like, okay, Nance leaves. Is he going to go to ESPN? What's CBS going to do? So there's a lot, you know, yeah. from we that some standpoint.
4: We bombs on the media beat. That's, <laughs> that's,
3: <laughs> that would be a good one. That would um, be good for
4: all of us. I,
3: I do wonder if he left, if CBS would elevate – only iron eagle and make him sort of the face and give him the number one nfl job and have him do the tournament finals or which you wrote about again in the article at the time when brent left they spread it around you mentioned greg gumbel earlier um i wonder what cbs would do in that case if, if jim did
4: leave. it's a really it's a really good question i mean it's like you bought would ser- it feels like i would certainly get the nca tournament you know that that would just like you just he does you know he and raftery just like okay here we go we're, we're, we're good right but with yep. the other stuff i just don't know i don't know what i don't know what the network would think about that mm-hmm. it, it's funny with these with these number one guys there's so few of them it's kind of like the supreme court and they never leave right but you know the network has a particular ideas about who should be in those jobs again to go to that stuff we were talking about earlier and you know sometimes it's very just peculiar it's just like we've settled on this guy rather than this guy mm-hmm. and we don't you don't quite understand you don't ever quite understand why but yeah yeah that'd be a really good question especially with the NFL especially the things like that i don't know I really don't. I,
3: and i and i i know ian i think just resigned with cbs he and he's you know he's one of these guys i just always feel like should have should have like he it feels like he should be an espn guy just because he's so versatile and they have everything and, you know, I, I've discussed this with Marshan a lot because he's he's reported that when Marv leaves, which apparently is going to be soon, I guess, if you you know that TNT is going to go to Brian Anderson over Ion and Harlan, which I find curious to say the least.
4: Yeah, I don't understand that either.
3: OK, yeah,
4: I don't either. I just don't, I don't understand. That. I don't quite get that decision. I haven't seen I haven't seen Anderson, do that many games. And I know he's done, I watched him do the tournament a couple of years ago and all that stuff. But I don't, I don't, that, that didn't, I don't get why that's the obvious call here.
3: Yeah. Um, yeah. Like I said, I, I, I love the article. It's, uh, if you have not read it, I, I put it in Train of Thoughts last week and tweeted it. But if you've missed it, it's at the ringer. Jim Nance knows what life after CBS looks like. It's a, if you're into sports media, you have anything cooking that, uh, you think it'll appeal to me? Cause you, you always have some great,
4: well, topics. you know, I um, what do, I what would I see? What, what what else am I doing about the '80s? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give me anything on the '80s, and I'm in. There we go. This is like I said. This yeah. is our rock and roll. We've already become those guys. We,
3: we we talked about this briefly before we started, but I'll mention it since it's the new. I mean, did you see? Because you're so great at covering media, did you see anything on Tuesday in the Tiger Woods coverage that either stood out to you, good or bad?
4: You know, it's it's funny to watch everybody scramble. In a, in a situation I don't know, funny is the right word since it was obviously a serious thing but it's right. just everybody is you're hit with this situation where who do we have you know who who can get on the air there was that somebody tweeted that thing where i guess it was was it the jump that just ran as normal because uh i can't remember who made this point i'm i'm, I'm stealing it from but they were talking about how espn news kind of doesn't exist maybe it's been coup it doesn't mm-hmm. exist anymore so they have to they just kind of ESPN normally where you'd have like 24, right. seven on a story like that. So it's like, there was a line on ESPN's website that said like Kendrick Perkins, uh, <laughs> you know, shares his thoughts on Tiger Woods he's <laughs> happy to be on the air at that moment. Yeah. You know, like, but yeah. I noticed that, um, you know, CNN went to Costas, right. Bob Costas, like he's, yeah, he works, he's there now. So it's like, this is, if we need a guy who can go on there and talk about this and, and just like, if we decided this is, this is the news of the day. Right. But it strikes me, and you and I were talking about this before the pod, this is kind of partly a post-Trump thing. Right. Where these networks would just be doing Trump, 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 Trump. And now they are looking for big stories that can fill their airwaves all day. Right. And the Tiger Woods story is a huge, serious, big, important story and all that kind of stuff. But I just feel that they're kind of groping around trying to find like what 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 do we program during the day when there's not, you know a political emergency happening all
3: right and i noticed too i guess after sort of uh the inauguration and and biden sort of was in the you know in office the cnn i guess they're shuffling a lot of their lineup too is that just is there anything there that ties in with like you know trump is gone let's shake it up or is it anchors just want to move around
4: i haven't studied that too much but i think it's just one of those things where you 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 kind of reshuffle. it's a time to reshuffle Mm-hmm. you know the the post and the times changed up their white house correspondence a little bit right that's yeah. kind of what you that's kind of when you stand back and do stuff like that yeah and just on a normal stuff. yeah
3: i have a feeling cable news ratings are about to <laughs> a, little, a little bit of a tumble a <laughs> little bit what of. what do we talk
4: about now
3: is i i love that there's nothing to
4: talk about now yeah no i i got no i got no complaints
3: I mean, it's nice to not, you know, have to worry about what a maniac is tweeting all day.
4: Yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm no, uh, no sadness that that yeah. is not You know, uh, you
3: know what? We'll, we'll move on. There's always something. I mean, listen, I, I kind of I mean, I enjoy the fact that I don't want to I don't want to pay attention to politics like that ever again. You know, I mean, listen, I want to be informed and, and, you know, using my votes in ways that matter, but like the daily just in and out nonstop, I'd much rather focus on like the Britney Spears documentary and <laughs> why your honor was so Finally. bad on Showtime. Like that's the stuff I'd rather. Finally,
4: some real news. Yeah. Yeah.
3: yeah, exactly. We don't
4: need the COVID relief bill. We can, uh. That's what well, that's, that's
3: that's like the only news I'm trying to... Keep. Give me all the COVID news. We got good okay. news. Today was good news too. There was a lot of good news today about Johnson & Johnson and increasing Pfizer and Moderna. So, you know, it's like, I don't know if you feel this, but I sort of... It's like, I don't even know how to handle good news. Like, I see those tweets and I'm like, okay, that's good, right? Oh, yeah, it's mm-hmm. good. And is anything going to go wrong or are we actually going to get these 140 million increase in doses that they just said they're getting? Like, I, I can't even... I don't even rely on the good news. It's, it's, you got to like wait for it to happen and then you can, you know?
4: Yeah. That, that's a good point. I think 2020 really, yeah. <laughs> maybe it made us suspicious of mm. any, any happy news at all. Right? Yeah. And, and it's, it's slowly getting back to where we can accept like, Oh, that's yeah. good for society. Maybe this,
3: this was the tweet I saw this morning. Pfizer and Moderna executive told lawmakers that they can dramatically increase COVID-19 vaccine deliveries to 140 million more doses over the next five weeks. Now, your only response to that should be, oh my God, that's awesome. Yes, let's go. And I'm just like, all right, well, if that happens, it's okay. Like, you're just waiting for the other shoe to drop at some point. It's got to get out of this mindset. We
4: are still in a pandemic, right? Like, that has not, the pandemic is still happening. So it is, it is. All joy and happiness will be tempered until then. Now,
3: one thing about the pandemic, you know, it is amazing. I feel like sports has rolled on pretty. I think college football was a complete and utter disaster and embarrassment. But other than that, sports has rolled on, you know, pretty remarkably well, considering.
4: That was, And you know, remember in in the summer, last summer, when it didn't necessarily seem like that was going to happen? Yeah. And we're all kind of like you and I were chewing up podcast innings going, are they going to have football this year? What's CBS going to do? Yeah. And then it just all kind of happened and it mostly happened on schedule.
3: Yeah. They just had here in New York, they let people back in Madison Square Garden last night for the Knicks and the Nets at Barclays. So, I think it was only, you know, a couple of thousand, but still, you know, got to start somewhere. So,
4: yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah. All right, well, I appreciate you coming on and uh, again, everyone check out that article on the Ringer by Brian Curtis on uh, Jim Nance and Brent Musburger and I'm sure I'll have you back on when uh, all this NFL stuff sort of hits the fan and get some more content Ab- out of it.
4: Absolutely. We need like I said, we need some wage bombs. This this this, this beat can't dry up yet. No. Let's do it.
3: Nope, not yet. All right. Thanks, Brian.
0: Appreciate
4: thanks. it. Thanks, Jimmy. Take care.
2: I'll give it to you straight. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcast.
3: All right, joining me now, SI Media Podcast. He's been on a few times, but with no sports going on and TV sort of taking the uh, forefront here with the NFL over, I thought it'd be great to talk to the chief TV critic from Rolling Stone, Alan Sepinwall. Alan, how are you?
5: Jimmy, I mean, the Knicks are still playing, so there are still sports going and, on right and now, and
3: not and not and not embarrassing themselves. So uh, there is something to be said for that.
5: <laughs> they are pleasantly mediocre right now.
3: They're watchable. That's a, exactly that's, that's a change.
5: Yeah, last night's game not so much, but mostly they're watchable. Yeah,
3: I should have had I should have had you on early in the pandemic because it did seem like early in the pandemic everyone started rewatching the Sopranos, and we know you're the Sopranos aficionado. Um, yeah. but we'll we'll talk about the Sopranos a little later. Um, full disclosure, we're taping this Monday afternoon. Normally I tape on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, uh, but Alan wanted to tape a little earlier because he's getting his second COVID vaccine shot on Tuesday. So I think that's tremendous. And I just, my dad got his second shot. He had Moderna. Everyone said, you're going to be sick. The second shot, my dad is in his seventies, totally fine after a second shot. In fact, he said his arm hurt more after his first shot, which is Bizarre. So, um, nothing but uh, good vibes for you there, and uh, glad you. Thank you. I,
5: I I hope I can follow in your father's footsteps, but yeah. I've I've sort of moved everything in my week around under the assumption that I may just be curled up into a ball for a
3: couple of days. Yeah, it's funny. Most people want to, you know, if they have a an illness that's not serious. I'm not trying to say people want to get sick, but the people who people who work every day at their jobs you know, like a two day mini illness so they can sit in bed and watch TV all day is sort of such a dream for them. But you watch TV for a living. So when you're sick, just like sitting in bed and watching TV all day, do anything for you or
2: is I it, like, don't know. Work? I
5: feel, I, I feel <laughs> like if I'm even in the position to be watching anything, it might be a movie, but more likely I'll just like, you know, have a book or something no. if, if I'm too sick to work.
3: Like I said, this is February is the dead time for sports until sort of March Madness gets going. So I think people are looking for things to watch. So, who better than to discuss that with than you? And we also have the Golden Globes this week, so I thought (laughs) we could touch on that. Um, Let me start. I want to ask you for some recommendations, but I I want to—the last two shows I've binged in the last month or so have been Ted Lasso and Your Honor. Uh, Let's start with Ted Lasso. I thought it was good. I know a lot of people on, on sports Twitter thinks it's great. I thought it was very good. I don't know if I'd go great. But I thought Sudeikis, Jason Sudeikis, was tremendous in that and should get any, every nomination possible. What was your take on Ted Lasso?
5: I was a little surprised to see it become as much of a phenomenon as it turned out yeah. to over the summer and, and over these last few months because I watched all of it early to, to review for Rolling Stone, and I liked it. I never really loved it. I didn't find it all that funny for a comedy, which is not a deal breaker necessarily. It was really watchable. I love underdog sports stories. I love Major League, which they're sort of lovingly paying tribute to, Mm -hmm. but it never really sort of rose above the, well, this is a very nice show barrier. I guess what I underestimated is the idea that in like the past year, Mm. when everything has been so awful, having shows about nice people feels special. And so, like, I, I get in hindsight why this was a big deal. For me, that show was more uh, PBS just did a remake of All Creatures Great and Small, which I was never into the original version when I was a kid. And like, I could not have been happier to watch this one because it's just, hey, nice people, cute animals, pretty scenery. This is what I need right now.
3: It's it's so funny. I have about 50 things I want to jump off of from what you just said. But I, I like the fact that um, I, I feel like I'm on the same page with you. Like, I thought Ted Lasso was good. I didn't think it was great. It was, an, you know, easy watch, enjoyable. I was very impressed with Sudeikis. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't think it was, you know, an all-time sitcom. And it's funny you mention about people looking for nice and, and um, you know, nice characters. Because when I, I, I tweeted about this a few times, I watched every episode of Your Honor, and really hated it over probably the last <laughs> five to six episodes. And I still watched the whole thing and felt kind of like an asshole because I was like, why am I doing this to myself? And I talked to a buddy of mine, Sal Lakata, who if you're from New York, you on WFAN here and SMY. Yeah. And he had this similar experience. He, he hated it and kept watching it. And we could. Free- and I said, my issue with your honor was, who am I supposed to root for? There was nobody to root for in that show. Everyone was bad, in my opinion. And I want to watch things where I root for someone. Yeah. Um, So I w- was wondering what you thought about your honor on Showtime.
5: All right, I watched only four of those. So I didn't even get to the point where you really started hating yourself for doing it. I love right. Brian Cranston. I think he's one of our great actors. I've literally yeah. written a book about Breaking Bad. So I think he's fantastic. This to me felt like there's a lot of these shows recently. Ozark's another one where it's like they they're trying to reverse engineer the really great shows of the first two decades of the century. So ripping off the Sopranos or breaking bad or mad men or the shield or the wire or whatever, but they don't really understand what made those shows special. So it feels very mechanical. It's all about like, here's a problem and he tries to solve it and he creates three more problems to solve and things get worse and worse. And he always looks panicked. And like you said, there's sort of, there's nothing really to care about because all you can sort of see are the wheels spinning or the puppet strings being pulled or whatever metaphor you want to use there. And as much as I love Cranston and a bunch of the other people in it, as good as I thought that they were in this, I just didn't care about anything. And it's- so when I got, they only gave me four episodes to review and that was kind of a relief because sometimes if they give me the full season, I feel like, Oh, I should watch it just in case it gets better because sometimes right. they do. Right. And you know, Showtime made the decision for me. I wrote my review and didn't look back.
3: It was one of the worst finales I've ever seen in, in, television. Um, I, the other show I should mention that I've, I've started, it's only been one episode. Second episode is this week is young rock on NBC. I have to mention it because I have a little obsession with the rock. I thought, um, I thought that whoever casted the show, I thought did an unbelievable job with the wrestlers. I don't know. I don't know what kind of wrestling fan you are. Uh, but if you're a wrestling fan, you should watch the show. Just, I mean, forget the rock story. They did an unbelievable job casting the old school 80s WWF wrestlers, Um, you know, and I meant to check and I didn't. Did did Young Rock do well in the ratings? I mean, network TV ratings. I know
5: I'm not I don't even pay attention to them anymore because they almost don't matter. It's really just sort of like what the streaming deal is or what the value the show has on the back end. So I don't know. Yeah. But to answer your question about, am I a wrestling fan? You want to know how much of a wrestling fan I used to be, especially during this period?
3: Absolutely.
5: Okay. My best friend, Mike Egan and I, we would talk on the phone every night. And one of the, the things we we'd do like lame comedy bits that we came up with. And one of them was we would do a fake talk show called intellectual wrestling hosted by Ax and smash of demolition. <laughs> Cause we just thought it would be funny. What if those two guys were in smoking jackets, you know, trying yes. to interview Tito Santana and it would always go awry. So that was yeah. my era when all of these guys who you're seeing hanging out with, with the young rock
3: are. So you are definitely uh, in that target group that would enjoy young rock with the, you know, going back to when his dad, Rocky Johnson was, was wrestling. So yep. did you, did you, what did you make of that first episode?
5: Uh, I've gotten to see three. So I've seen okay. that one. I've seen uh, the one that's coming up next. And then they sent me the sixth one, which is largely about Andre, the giant and the guy that cast to play Andre, I think his name is Matthew Willick. He's amazing. Mm. Like, I don't mm. know how you, Andre is not really human. And so I don't know how you okay. find someone who's that size, but can also, you know, sort of seem that gentle. Uh, I think that the show is trying to do a lot of things. And that hmm. first episode, especially because they're trying to set up three different young rocks and also do this thing where you also have old rock 12 years from now running for president. Right. And it's maybe a bit much. The other two episodes they sent me, it just takes place in one time period. So there's one episode where he's a teenager and there's one episode about him as a kid in Hawaii. And those I thought were both better. Okay. I think, weirdly enough, as much as I love The Rock and as charismatic as he is, I think they could probably stand to just ditch him altogether and just give us the flashbacks with Young Rock and maybe he does a little voiceover. Mm. But I felt like every time we jump back to him on the presidential campaign, it was a little bit of a distraction, and I wanted to get
3: back to him as a kid. So the so Dwayne Johnson is in all of the episodes.
5: Yes. Okay. So like in one, yeah. in each episode, he's either doing an interview or he's doing a press conference or something. And someone will ask him a question about mm. something in his campaign. And he'll say, well, you know, that reminds me of this time. And suddenly you'll get a story about like, you know, when he, he lied to some girl to impress her, to get around a date, or when you right. wound up going to see a movie with, with Andre, the giant.
3: Gotcha. And I have it on my DVR, but I have not watched it yet. Um, I'm old. I DVR I don't stream. I mean, I stream, <laughs> but I, I use the DVR first. The stream is like the second method. Cause I'm old. Uh, I love Kenan Thompson on SNL. I DVR'd his show. Would you recommend... I have to watch it. I was going to do that today. Would you recommend it? Or? I
5: don't know. I've only seen the one episode, which is I don't review anything if they only send me one episode anymore because it's just there's, there's too much stuff. Yeah. The episode I saw, like I love Kenan and I think he's very likable in this. It's a weird show. It feels like... Somebody wrote like an old fashioned multicam sitcom like Big Bang Theory or Cheers or whatever meant for an audience, but then they shot it in the more modern style. So it's like you keep waiting for it to hear a laugh track and it never comes. Right. And so I found that kind of distracting, but I do like him. So I'm going to check it out again.
3: Uh, speaking of Keenan, we had talked about this briefly privately um, because I, I wanted to discuss with you. I, I think one of the big TV stories for this season, at least, is SNL post Trump. And you revealed that you don't really watch SNL. So um, it would,
5: I used to be, I used to be a devout SNL fan and Mm -hmm. basically around the time of the 2016 election and its aftermath, I I kicked the habit. I was just, I was so frustrated a with their role to a degree in helping him get elected, but also how poorly equipped they turned out to be to address this, the last four years in America. Uh, And it really exposed like a lot of the show's vulnerabilities. And I would, get to saturday night and i just didn't want to deal with it i didn't want i thought baldwin was was a terrible trump i didn't want to watch him on top of just i think all those sketches were really badly written uh and i just didn't think any of the political or topical material wa- was really well handled and so i just stopped and now that trump is no longer president and i don't have to worry about seeing that i feel like well once i've kicked the habit i don't necessarily need to i didn't miss it as much as i thought i might have
3: yeah um and they put every i mean it feels like you know sunday morning all those clips are all over twitter so if there's something you need to see yeah
5: every see. now and then i'll watch a sketch if it yeah. winds up online and yeah. you know usually it's like what they call the the twelve fifty or the 10 to 1 sketch it's like the last thing of the night yeah which is really weird and those tend to be my jam
3: yeah um those have always been great going back you know 90s 80s um that last sketch um Wayne's world was a 10 to one sketch.
5: Once upon a time, I was on a high school yeah. field trip. Yeah. It was at the end of like a Leslie Nielsen episode. And and all of us the next morning, we were just walking around singing the theme song.
3: It was a little jarring seeing them in the Super Bowl commercial. I must say no,
5: was, that bummed me out a yeah. lot. That yeah. really bummed me out.
3: I'm with you on that one. Um, yeah, I just I wonder, you know, Trump. Ha- I mean, Trump. <laughs> Alec Baldwin hasn't been on yet this season. I don't believe maybe. He said he's
5: done with it. Yeah. uh, And he should be. He should be.
3: He should be. It's just interesting. They've always, you know, one of the things I think they got a bad rap on. You could debate, obviously, whether they did it well, but they've always been a political show. I think, you know, people, you know, I know MAGA people are like, I don't watch SNL anymore. And it's like, well, they've always done that. They've always done. Every president has been skewered by that show. Uh, I mean, maybe that has been portrayed and there have been sketches and comedy. So I thought it was ridiculous that it was people portrayed it as like this new thing phenomenon. Now, obviously, they did it every week and they went over the top with it.
5: But it was also that he was complaining about it every week on Twitter. You right, know, right, right. no other president really did that. If you go back to the beginning, like Gerald Ford knew he couldn't punch back at SNL. So he put his press secretary, Ron Nesson, hosted an episode in that first season. And uh, I think I think it's a political show in the extent that they portray presidents for the most part, I feel like they don't really skewer them, at least for what they're doing as president. It's more like they figure out a personality trait and that's what they do. So Ford was clumsy. Uh, Carter was too smart for the room. Uh, George HW Bush would babble endlessly, et cetera. So it's like they figure out one specific thing and that becomes the character, but it's almost never about what the president is doing as a president and I guess maybe what happened was we get to this particular presidency, and what he was doing was so many steps beyond what anyone else had done, good right. or bad, that for them to just make it about him being an idiot seemed <laughs> like not nearly enough.
3: Yeah, I got. It. Yeah, I mean, that, and I think Baldwin just it became too much. Same thing over and over, and there was nothing.
5: Yeah, it was very one note. Really,
3: yeah. Um, so I mentioned the top. You know, like I said, sports fans, this is a little bit of a dead time for them. Probably a lot of people turning to trying to find new shows. Can you give me something, two or three things maybe that everyone should be watching right now? Give me maybe one comedy, one drama, and one Alan says you must watch this show, whatever it is.
5: Okay, so let's think here. I mean, the great thing is I don't have to necessarily be limited to something that debuted yesterday because now everything is streaming somewhere. Yep. Uh, all right. So one show I would 100% recommend is What We Do in the Shadows, which you can stream on Hulu right now. It's an FX comedy. It's a, doc- a mockumentary about like a bunch of vampires living in a house together in Staten Island. And it's just the funniest thing on television right now. It's so just utterly ridiculous and gross and stupid and I love it a whole lot. And it's that, that latest season started airing very early in the quarantine. And it was a great escape every night when I was able to turn away from the news and put that on.
3: Where are they at with that? Are they in season one, season two, where are they?
5: Two seasons have aired. They're actually up in Montreal right now, filming the third season I'm working on a feature about that right now for Rolling Stone. So everyone is in quarantine together. In order to make that, that's how a a number of shows are having to do things. They sort of make their own bubble somewhere uh, and produce that way. So I'm excited. And and the name
3: again, one more time.
5: What we do in the shadows.
3: What we do in the shadows. Okay. And you got a drama.
5: Let's see drama. There's, there's a new one, it, or a second season of a show on Apple actually mm-hmm. speaking of Ted Lasso called for all mankind. The second season just premiered last week. They're rolling it out weekly. So you kind of have to wait a while. I almost might suggest someone might want to wait about a month and start binging it a little bit, but the whole first season is already there. The premise is what if the Russians beat us to be the first you know, country to walk on the moon and what effect would that have on history and on the space race And so it's this alternate reality where the space race and the Cold War never quite ended. And the first season takes place throughout the late 60s and early 70s. Season two, which just debuted is set in 1983. And there's some slow spots here and there, but overall it's really a lot of fun. And the last couple of episodes of this season, when everybody get to them are like, I just watched them with a huge smile on my face throughout uh, as a lot of different things were going down on the moon and in orbit and elsewhere.
3: So give me comedy, give me drama, give me a wild card, anything you want, a documentary, comedy, sitcom, anything. Give me one. You know, if someone says tonight I need to fire something up, what do you tell them? All
5: right. Well, there, I feel like I at this point, I mean, there may not be too many people who already have been seeing this, but uh, Lupin, which is this French heist series on Netflix, uh, starring an actor named Omar C, who's just like a master thief in and around Paris. And they, are, they debuted five episodes uh, about a month or so ago, and they're gonna debut uh, more in the summer. And that is just a whole lot of fun. And the actor Omar C is just wildly charismatic. And I feel like he's gonna be a huge, huge star. And I just really enjoyed that.
3: I want to just go back for a split second because the drama you mentioned, you said was on Apple. Is that is is the Jennifer Aniston morning show worth watching? Should I dip into that?
5: I didn't really love it. I watched, I think, three episodes and stopped after that. I know a bunch of other critics enjoyed it more than I did. It felt to me like sort of a show in search of, of a reason to exist. It just had a lot of expensive talent and they're really talented and they were good on the show, but there just didn't seem to be a whole lot of there there for me.
3: Uh, You mentioned shows basically creating bubbles to, to shoot. Um, Do you know anything about anything that's going on with the next season of Curb Your Enthusiasm? Is there anything uh, leaked out about they're, that?
5: They're filming it now. A friend of mine lives in, uh, not Beverly Hills, like some some like fancy-ish neighborhood in LA. And he said Larry was filming at a golf course down the street for him over the weekend. So they're in process now. I have to imagine that there's going to be a lot of quarantine material in the show because like there's a lot of shows where when they start doing pandemic stuff, it feels weird to me yeah. and I don't love it. But if any show is equipped for it, it's Kerr because you can see Larry like turning this to his advantage. Right.
3: You got, you got that right. I, I spoke to James Andrew Miller uh, this morning who is writing a book or well, wrote a book. It's coming out in the fall on HBO. And yeah. um, he said they've, they've shot some stuff they had to stop. He's not sure if they've restarted filming. Um, but he, you know, he was pretty sure there's going to be a lot of quarantine in the next season, which I tell you, that's, that's going to be good that's good. I'm,
5: be... I'm looking forward to it.
3: And I thought after a rough couple of years, I thought season 10, which came out at the beginning of the pandemic, I thought it was a strong season. What did you make of the last season of curb?
5: Uh, I thought it was definitely better than the previous couple. The one with yeah. Lin-Manuel Miranda was pretty disappointing to me. Mm-hmm. Not all of them this time worked, but there was enough of them that sort of scratched yeah. that itch that made me think, all right, I'm glad that curb continues to exist.
3: Yeah, for sure. Um, I mentioned the Golden Globes are this weekend. Now the Golden the Golden Globes. Explain this for people listening who may like. They're not really to be taken that seriously, right? Don't like not people to be taken get,
5: seriously at all.
3: Yeah, like don't people get like paid to win or something like? I mean, I, right, I, I'm the, not the Golden listening.
5: Globes are voted on by an organization called the Hollywood Foreign Press Association, and nobody really knows who they are, uh, you know, or what they're about. The L.A. Times did a great expose on them the other day where they revealed some of the ways in which shows get nominations. So in a lot of cases, it's just like payola. It's flattering, bribing, other in other ways, sucking up to the Hollywood Foreign Press Association. So Netflix has this really just awful comedy called Emily in, in Paris. Yeah. And they flew the Hollywood Foreign Press Association to Paris, put them up in a really expensive hotel, for like a weekend junket where they could then like you know have a great experience and meet the cast and and swan around paris for a few days and shockingly this really bad show right. winds up with a bunch of golden globe nominations
3: that's that's Emily so they care about that
5: they care about being around famous people right. and being around movie stars every now and then they sort of accidentally get something <laughs> right some of their tv awards in recent years have been interesting like they gave Gina Rodriguez from uh, Jane the Virgin a Golden Globe. She's great. They gave Rachel Bloom from Crazy Ex-Girlfriend a Golden Globe. She's great. But a lot of the time it's just you feel as if they're not. They're barely even aware that television exists, let alone what's good on it.
3: <laughs> and the Emmys, though, they are they still to be taken seriously?
5: The Emmys are have problems of their own. They're definitely better, though, in that like it's you know who the voters are. They're people who work in the industry. The problem is just, there's just too much TV for anybody to keep track of. Right. And so it's like, what what have people heard of? what Who are people who they know, who they like? What's a name they recognize on the ballot? There's a lot of different complicated things that come into play. But like the most recent Emmys, Watchmen was one of the best shows of the last five, six years. And that... You know, swept the limited series category. So I was happy about that. It's what did you make? Okay.
3: Now, I love the show. I, I, it's one of my favorites of all time now. But what did you yeah. make of Schitt's Creek winning every single, literally every <laughs> single award?
5: Yeah. Again, that was a weird thing where it was like each category, one show swept it. Uh, so it was not the most dramatic of nights yeah. necessarily. Shit's Creek, I kind of put in the Ted Lasso category of I've always liked it, but not loved it, and I also don't find it wildly funny. But again, it's about a bunch of very likable people, especially when you get about a season in, and the family accepts that like we're stuck here and we're we're going to get used to it. See, I Um, I
3: think like I think Shit's Creek is like so far and above Ted Lasso, it's not even but that's and that's that's
5: good comedy comedy to me always feels more subjective than drama and obviously not everybody's going to like the same dramas or anything but it's sort of it's easier to look at something and say oh that's great acting or oh that's really suspenseful or whatever whereas what makes one person laugh is not necessarily going to make another person laugh you know on a very molecular kind of level right
3: right listen this people don't like seinfeld and curb so you know this Um, is true all right so if, if the golden globes let's Let's play a game here and hypothetically, if they were to be taken seriously. Yes. The nominees for the best comedy series, Emily and Parrish, you mentioned, The Flight Attendant, The Great. Schitt's Creek and Ted Lasso, if you're picking not who you think will win, but who do you think deserve if those were your choices? If someone said, I want to watch one of these five shows, which one would you tell them?
5: I would recommend either Flight Attendant, which was a whole ton of fun. That's on HBO Max Mm -hmm. or The Great, which is on Hulu, which was one of the big surprises of last year. It's a, a comedy about the young Catherine the Great with Elle Fanning, and she is so funny and so charismatic in a way that I was not expecting from her. Uh, it's just a really great performance. And it's from one of the writers of, oh my God, the name just fell out of my head. Uh, the, the favorite. Um, and it's, so it's her and Nicholas Holt, who is also in the favorite. And uh, that's re- a really weird and dark show, but you will not forget it if you watch
1: it.
3: And then same thing, same question here in best drama series, which the nominees are the crown, which my dad loves Lovecraft country the Mandalorian which i see on twitter 24/7, Ozark which you mentioned and a show i never heard of called Ratchet.
5: Oh, Ratchet is so bad. That's this <laughs> it's it's an origin story of Nurse Ratchet from One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest that basically like makes no sense within the context of who she is in One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. It's just right. sort of it's one of, Ryan Murphy who's one of the most prolific and successful producers in television signed this big deal with Netflix and is just making a fortune. And it feels like whatever restraints were sort of making his shows, the shows that worked good are now gone. And so pretty much everything he's made for Netflix has been bad and that may be the worst of those. Uh, of those nominees, I mean, I really enjoy Mandalorian. That's a fun show. I don't know if it's a great show. I would say of those Lovecraft Country from HBO was really great. It was, every, it did, not all of it worked, but enough of it did that that was one of my favorites from the last year.
3: The other show I should mention, we don't need to get into Best Actor, or Best Actress, that's all. Yeah. Um, I feel like the first part of Quarantine was dominated by The Last Dance yeah. and um, Tiger King. Yeah. And I feel like this last portion of The Quarantine was dominated by The Undoing.
5: Oh, The Undoing was so bad, though. It was uh, so bad,
3: okay. Jimmy. Okay. I, that, I didn't watch it, but I mean, my God, it was talked about.
5: Yeah. That's you know. one where I like I saw that show in the spring because it was originally going to debut, I think, in April or May. Mm-hmm. And so I saw it to potentially review for Rolling Stone. And then midway through the process of putting the end of that issue, HBO called me up and said, hey, we, we didn't quite finish filming the finale before production had to shut down. So we're moving it back to the fall. Right. And so I had already been kind of unimpressed. And then I, I get to and I hadn't even seen this, the terrible finale at the time. And then you get into late summer, early fall, and all of this excitement is building up. You know, oh, it's you know, Hugh Grant. It's Nicole Kidman. And I really, like, I didn't want to be the buzzkill, but I tried to warn as many people as possible to not get excited. <laughs> and even then, there were still some people who were excited. And you could see, oh, like, Twitter but, loved it. But no, but you could see the enthusiasm kind of waning week Man. after week. And then yeah. the night of the finale, I decided, what the hell I'm going to put? I I didn't even like the show. But everyone is so gung-ho. I want to see, like, if if they can pull off the ending and also how people respond. And, like, you've never seen a balloon deflate on, like, social media quite like that before. Right. With each passing minute, people were getting madder and madder and madder at the show. And it was just they really there was no there there with that.
3: One. Right. Um, this has been great. I've enjoyed it, but I can't have you on and let you go without at least mentioning something about The Sopranos. I, I, did you get a vibe in the beginning of the pandemic, which it's hard to believe has been a year now? Oh, gosh. But it did feel like in March, April, May of 2020, I felt like there were a lot of people rewatching The Sopranos. Or, I mean, I knew a couple of people who got into it for the first time, which yes. was shocking to me. Now I think a lot of people come to you for Soprano. Did you? What was your experience with that, with the Sopranos and the pandemic?
5: Yeah, no, I I heard a lot of anecdotal evidence. I had a lot of people saying, you know, hey, we finally we. It was sort of like the the pandemic and the quarantine became an opportunity to cross shows off your viewing bucket list. Yeah. And Sopranos seemed to be high on a lot of folks. And so they would say, oh, well, you know, we're know we going to watch it. We're going to buy your book, The Soprano Sessions. Is it OK to read it like before <laughs> I've seen it? And I said, no, you just watch each episode and then read what, what Matt Seitz and I wrote about it. Yeah. Uh, and so but it was it was very cool. I mean, it was the same experience we had when the book came out a couple of years ago of like, the show really holds up, yeah. both if you've seen it before and if you're coming to it new. I almost never get anyone say like, oh, I watch this and I get why it's important, but it didn't do anything for me because yeah. I've seen so many other things that copied it.
3: Right. Well, first of all, people should watch it just to watch the performances, I think. Of James Gandolfini and Edie Falco. I mean, that's television history right there. No, he's
5: he's he gives like the greatest dramatic performance TV has ever seen. And she is not that far behind,
3: not far behind at all. I think, um, I should have mentioned this when I when I set it up the podcast that came out that Michael Imperioli and Steve Shrippa. Uh, yes. I think that sort of helped boost things. They they've been on this podcast. If anyone's listening, you could dip into the archives and listen to it. They do a nice job with it. Um I think that helped obviously uh, get some more people into it.
5: Yeah, no, it's it's great. Um I'm doing a new podcast now called Too Long Didn't Watch. And the gimmick is every episode we have like a celebrity watch pick a show they've never seen before and they watch the first one and the last episode and nothing in between. And so far, nobody has picked The Sopranos and I'm waiting for someone to do it.
3: you imagine I'm... watching the first and last <laughs> and nothing else of The Sopranos? Yeah, oh I'm my... saying some, yeah.
5: a, a, a lot of people who have done it have sort of regretted their choices as they gone I'm, along.
3: I'm so glad you mentioned that. I meant to bring this up and I, I had it written down and I didn't see it out of the corner of my eye. And I'm so glad you brought up that podcast you're doing because it was on your podcast where I guess it came out John Hamm audition for Sandy Cohen on The O.C.?
5: Yes. Yeah. He was in the very first episode we taped, like right before the quarantine. I was in L.A. in the like March 11th or 10th or 11th to tape that. And we sat next to each other and we touched elbows and we watched two episodes of Gossip Girl together. And in the process of that, John mentions that, you know, because it's Josh Schwartz who had created The O.C. was one of the creators of Gossip Girl. And he said, you know, I auditioned for The O.C., and I assumed like he auditioned for I picked like three or four other roles. And he's like, no, I auditioned to play the dad Sandy Cohen. And Unbelievable. it just blew my mind. And I'm not sure right. I paid any attention to Gossip Girl for at least 10 minutes after that.
3: Right. That is, yeah, that's a mind blower right there. You, I mean, listen, the guy who played Sandy Cohen, what was it? Peter Gallagher? Is that Peter Gallagher,
5: who was great. Right. And Tremendous. I
3: think, yep. I wanted I wanted Kirsten and Sandy to adopt me when I watched that show. Like they were the best parents you can besides the fact that Kirsten was an alcoholic. Yeah. You know. They were just the greatest parents I, and John, Hamm, like that's a case where like John Hamm is so awesome, but you're glad he didn't get that role.
5: Yeah, a, because he was a little too young, but also it would have kept him from playing Don Draper. So yeah, right. History is littered with those where it's like you miss out on one part and as a result, you wind up getting the part yeah. you should have in the first place.
3: And we mentioned season ten of Curb. I thought the John John Ham episode might have been. I think oh, the second amazing. best after the <laughs> Maga Hat episode. I thought the John Ham yeah. was second best. Yeah.
5: Yeah. I mean, I I almost wish that they could have done like a whole episode that was just about Ham, like becoming Larry David, because I I feel like there's something to the idea of like. How much more acceptable is Larry David's behavior if he looks like John Hamm? Right. But even right. in the little snippets that we got, he was perfect.
3: Right. I think I tweeted after that episode, like he should be on every episode. It was just <laughs> he was he was so good in that episode. It was. He's it was so great. funny. I, yeah. I love him. What is is he doing anything right now? Is he on a show right now? He's not. Uh, right?
5: He's develop he's developing. Um, like they're gonna revive Fletch. Okay. So he's gonna play Fletch in a new movie based on one of the Fletch novels, which I have on my bookshelf right off over my right shoulder here. Yeah.
3: Yeah, we could use more John Hamm, but I, I want him on curb. Yes, Hopefully absolutely. They get him back yeah, yeah. I hope he's back. Yeah. All right, Alan, I appreciate it. I know the listeners, are, I'm sure they'll check out your recommendations. And of course, you can read all of Alan's stuff on RollingStone.com. Chief TV critic does a phenomenal job. And of course, he is uh, the master of The Sopranos, has a great book out, The Oral Sessions. So check all that out. And uh, thanks so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Jimmy, thank you. Good luck with the second shot. Thank you. <laughs> thanks. Yeah. All right, that wraps it up for this episode of the SI Media Podcast. My thanks to Brian Curtis from The Ringer and Alan Sepinwall from Rolling Stone. Enjoy talking to both of them immensely. If you missed any previous episodes of the SI Media Podcast, get into those archives and check them out. Last week, Darren Rovell on the trading card explosion. Two weeks ago, Kevin Clark from The Ringer. Three weeks ago, Aaron Andrews and Kyle Brandt. Four weeks ago, Roman Reigns, WWE champion. So check those out. Subscribe, rate, and review. All right, that's it. We'll see you next week right here on the SI Media Podcast. Be safe. Take care. At
0: bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off, grand slam, or a base hit to center field.